Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whenever you're watching this, hello everyone. I'm Luke Thomas. This is the Monday Morning Analyst for June 1st, 2015. Today on the podcast, we'll talk about UFC Fight Night 67, headlined by Carlos Condit versus Tiago Alves. We'll also get to, if we have time, uh, Chris Algieri losing to Amir Khan, PBC on Spike. Um, and of course, the host of events uh, that happened over the weekend, including the Mundials. I'll try to get to a little bit of that if we can. This podcast works very simply. 30 minutes, I try to, or less, talk about the technical action from the week in combat sports. Not like the live chat where I take questions. This is pretty much just a breakdown of technique. So, um, three parts of the podcast, the big overview, the technique results themselves, and then what to expect the following weekend. So, with 30 minutes on the clock, let's begin. All right. Big overview. So it's June 1st, um, and the month of May is over. It was believed that heading into the month of May, uh, you know, when, when certainly April or you know February w- w- was around, we were thinking, wow, May is going to be the greatest month in combat sports. And I, I can't even get into all the events that happened, but when you think about it, um, there was sort of beat the streets. So there was USA Wrestling. I think there was also a Las Vegas um, Open. I'm not sure exactly, but anyway, there was Metamores. There was Mundial's. There was the glory, I think two glory events, certainly at least one glory event. Yeah, I think the one glory event, uh, multiple Bellator events, UFC 187, Miocic Hunt, Edgar Faber. There was a lot of events. There was a ton and ton of events, um, more than I think most could keep up with. There was GGG boxing. There was Canelo versus Kirkland. There was, there was just a lot. There was really a lot. So... When you think back, you're like, wow, has one month been as busy as the month of May of 2015? And I don't think you can say that there has been, at least across the diversity of combat sports in that sense. Certainly, and of course, Mayweather Pacquiao, who could forget, right? Um, feels like ages ago, though, now. But I think the key takeaway was that while May 2015 was certainly the busiest month um, in combat sports that I can remember ever, um, I'm not sure it was the best, you know? Uh, a lot of events came and went and weren't that great. Metamorphs had a couple of good matches. I thought Roberto Satoshi versus Clark Gracie was great. Um, I enjoyed Joe Lazan versus um, Dylan Dennis. But the event generally was kind of lackluster. Even the Mundials this past weekend, there was many, many good events. Don't get me wrong. Many, many good uh, matches or fights, whatever you prefer to call them. But at the same time, um, you know, no Rodolfo Vieira. Uh, Bouchesha got injured. And so I'm certainly very happy for Bernardo Faria, who's a great guy, but it just it, it didn't have that kind of big big event feel by the time the Absolutes came around. Uh, Mackenzie Dern did great. Beatrice Mosquito did great. Uh, and then Dominique Obalente from Marcelo Garcia did great, but again, didn't have that big event feel for that. Uh, Kirkland got blown out, so that was cool because it was fun to see Canelo, but it wasn't a you know, it wasn't a, a historic event. Neither was GGG's fight. Maybe the Pacquiao was historic in many ways, but the fight failed to live up to, I think, many fans' expectations. So um, UFC 187 was great, but it lacked that star power that John Jones brought. So th- there was a lot to be happy about. I'm not complaining as such. I just think we may have confused frequency of events and the and the breadth and depth of events with just the reward that it, that it fell short of the, the, the promised reward, I think, is... So the takeaway I have there for me personally, maybe you were thoroughly entertained the whole way through, um, you know, but I thought either events got run over or um, events failed to live up to expectations or events were great, but just, you know, not exactly what they could have been. Um, I'm not complaining as such, but it may sound like it. I just think if we set ourselves a standard, we have to ask ourselves once that month has expired, whether or not it lived up to our expectations and, and everyone's answers will differ for me. Um, 
now that the month's over, I don't feel like we, we close some sort of historic chapter. I feel like we're just sort of on to the next one. But it could just be me. Okay. So we move on to now the fights themselves. This is how the podcast works. So we're going to talk about, of course, UFC Fight Night 67. That is UFC Fight Night Condit versus Alves. Uh, forgive my Portuguese. Uh, the event took place at the Goiania Arena in Goiania, Brazil. Um, markedly bad attendance. The lowest I can recall ever for something not at the Pearl at the Palms. 3,500 people. This was an event a year ago with Vitor Belfort and Dan Henderson drew nearly 11,000. Less than 4,000. Um, you know, I've been a part of regional events here in Washington, D.C. that have done twice that. Um that's a very bad number. That's a very bad number. We don't have what the gate was, but this might be an event where the UFC lost money. Uh, I'm not sure. I can't say that with any kind of confidence, but they certainly did not draw a ton of money from the gate. We can, we can at a minimum, infer that. Uh, the event was headlined by a welterweight bout between Carlos Condit and Tiago Alves. Um, we will just sort of walk down from top to bottom as we have normally done previously. Now, I went way over the, the time limit last time, so I'm going to skip over a few fights, including the entire you know uh, fight pass card, because um, there's just not a lot to get, to get to here. But there's a lot on the Fox Sports card, both the prelim and the main card, that I think is worth acknowledging. So let's start with very first. Carlos Conde defeated Thiago Alves uh, via Dr. Stoppage after the second round. So the first round completed, and the second round completed, and then it was in between rounds as the ringside physician was examining Tiago Alves. He recommended to the referee that they stop it, and the referee stopped it from there. So let me pull up my notes here. Uh, a lot to like about this fight. A lot to like. So this the, the story of this fight was essentially that I thought Alves looked pretty good early. Um, looked conventional Alves, but conventional Alves is pretty great, you know. Um, there was there was a lot he was doing. Well, I thought he was chewing up. Carlos Conde was switching stances a lot. Um and was was both ending and beginning combinations with his kicks. Uh, and I thought that Alves was tearing his lead leg up. It didn't matter which side he was facing. Um, Alves was doing a great, great job of making sure actually that he finished the end of his combinations with kicks and really, really tore apart the lead leg stance, no matter which side it was, of Carlos Condit. So I thought that was pretty effective. I thought Carlos Condit was really um, missing a lot of his punches, uh, diving in with the left straight, coming over the right, in a combination. Tiago Alves, if you go back and watch a lot of the replays, has great vision the whole time, is watching Carlos Conde come in and timing him pretty well, mostly with the right hand, but occasionally with a check left hook. Um, so that was really sort of the first round. I mean, Carlos Conde was doing a good job of moving around, I think trying to keep things diverse. Now, the story of the second round was the elbows. But before I get into that, real quickly, there was one elbow that I counted thrown by Carlos Conde in the first round. Um, Alves is pawing with a jab, but a lazy jab. He's just sort of like feeling it a little bit. Like he'll throw it if he can. It's not quite, it's not quite chambered all the way. It's kind of out there a little bit. Carlos pair or wrist controls it and then tries to score an elbow over the top. Um, and it, I think it landed, although not heavily, but he ate a right hook counter as a consequence. Right, hardcore. Now he sort of walked through it because Carlos Condit has an amazing chin, but he it's not true that he didn't throw an elbow to the second round. He threw one in the first, but it was he didn't virtually every time up until the end of the second round, anytime he tried to throw a single elbow on the same side without a setup on the other, he paid for it. 
So let's move into the second round. The big thing that set everything off was an elbow. But this one was different than the one he threw in the first round. Rather than same side Perry throwing the elbow, Condit leans left. First of all, he faints. Then he leans left. Then he fires an overhand right. Okay, That gets um, Alves to counter with a check left hook. And then as he does that, he drives back. Carlos drives back across with an elbow that just crashes into Alves. In other words, what's the difference? If I just grab a side, throw same, grab one side, and throw the same side elbow, you just can see everything coming. You, yes, the elbow may land, and maybe that's enough if you can land a hard elbow, but you're just totally exposed. Rather than setting the elbow up with a punch and then changing sides, and then probably changing speeds a little bit too, you know. Um, that was really clever by Carlos Condit. It was a nice adjustment too. Like the elbow's landing, but we need to set it up first a little bit. So get him to open up with that same side, dart in, doesn't expect the range punch at all, bang, drilled him with the elbow. That was fantastic. And from there, he was sort of following up. Alves did a good job scrambling for the most part. Um, in fact, Alves, uh, Carlos Condit looking for a single leg, and then Alves with his face gushing with blood, attempting a guillotine. You know, guys got a tremendous amount of guts, man. Tremendous amount of guts from Thiago Alves. I thought that was really good. Um, I also like that Condit, he did go, I mean, once the elbows were landing a little bit more frequently, I did like that he kept up with it. But he also kept his, like one thing, I, I was on 120 Sports last night, I was talking about it, like one of the things that really no, I noticed was, you know, um, Condit has so many weapons he can go to if he needs them. Um, he's still got a lot of the same deficiencies. He hasn't quite, you know, eliminated those. But he really has so many offensive opportunities that he can create for himself. So there's that. Um, but one thing I liked was he jabbed. I think he even double jabbed. Uh, and then went with a left hook to the body when he switched stands to the southpaw stance. That was awesome. Just ripping a hard body shot. That was great. Um, Condit one time with Alvis sort of floating just off the cage. Went back to the same side elbow. And bang. Ate another counter for it. The same thing that happened in the first round. Um, there was one fantastic combo that this point that uh, Alves was pretty hurt and bleeding. Condit went to right elbow, left body shot. Then they lock in a 50-50 clinch. And this was great. Condit turns Alves around himself. right? So it's not one of those ones where he just tries to dive forward on you. He, he goes bang, bang, wraps it up. 50, he's got a gable grip behind him trips one leg, turns him over it, and rather than turning him over it and then sort of following through, he turned and then kind of uh, picked his own feet up, his own feet up, and then crashed with Alves to the mat a la Ronda Rousey style. Ronda Rousey doesn't throw people from that, at least she hasn't. Uh, but I just mean R Rousey, when she throws people, she loves to crash with them because it hurts so much more when they come down on you. And kind of did that. So he only, he not only picked them up because he recognized immediately he had the space. Um, Alves was sort of standing a little too tall right there. And uh, kind of got under him, could feel it, and then picked them up. It's more of a trip. But if you trip someone hard enough and you turn them on the trip, they come off of their feet. And if you can recognize that and you can come off your feet just a space after that, you can crash with them down. It's so painful if someone's really good at that and they're heavy. Um, and there was one thing just for a quick second I noticed, like Matt Brown's the king of this. Uh, there was a moment where Alves was scrambling back to his feet and you saw um, you saw Condit try a three-quarter stack to then set up the darts, but he couldn't finish it. He had a three-quarter stack just behind the head, trying to drive the head down of Alves, but Alves sort of got out of it. Anyway, I'm just sort of 
pointing out that Matt Brown is the king of the three-quarter stack in MMA. Uh, okay, but so the round ends, and uh, Condit, you know, it could be a 10-8 round, depending on your perspective. Um, the ringside physician examines him. Alice's nose is up here, you know, uh, and people were like, why'd they stop the fight? Dude, that is a bad injury. That is a very bad injury. We have this thing in MMA where we want guys to fight until they simply cannot fight anymore. Like if this guy's willing and he can breathe through his mouth, who cares? This is so terrible. This is how careers end much faster. Um, he will live to fight another day and we will at least have saved him uh, potentially, you know, unreal damage to his, quite frankly, you know, your nose is a fairly significant part of your living experience. And if that is badly damaged, you can imagine that that would compromise your quality of life for a long time. So it was already pretty hurt. I don't know why he would want to make it any worse. Uh, when something like that happens to someone, call it a day. Just call it a day. So I'm glad they did. Okay, in the co-main event, uh, Mick Lentz and Charles Oliveira fought. This was a crazy, crazy fight. These two are wild, man, because what winds up happening when they get together is you have these moments where everything is being battled technically. And then one will do something not technically, and maybe it won't work. And then one will do another one that's not technical, and maybe maybe it will work. In other words, they alternate between technical and non-technical, depending on the success of what's working. If they can't pass your guard properly, he'll just try and smash you. Um, if you can't get the guillotine, uh, you know he'll just stand up and knee you in the stomach. But he may eat a shot over the top for being so ramrod straight. They have this weird combination of just trying to find a space of what works, and and they'll be technical as long as they can be, but they won't always be. And they always sometimes they don't have to be because they can still be pretty effective with it. So the first round starts. Man, Oliveira has a suffocating wizard, man suffocating wizard like when you have a guillotine on someone and a wizard's not a guillotine of course a wizard is just an overhook of an underhook but when you have a guillotine on someone one of the things you're looking for is you're looking for the hand you want it to be like like okay so like this like if your elbow is down here so you can't see it you kind of want to be at a 90 degree angle that way you, that way you can put your body into it right that's what you want um, if you're down here, you're going to wind up being a muscle thing. I'm not saying you can't get it, but it just lessens your chances. It tires you out, so it's not nearly as good. You want that right angle. This dude on guillotines and wizards is, like, up to here. He can grab his own chest because, he, first of all, he has great positioning, and then he's got this body type that he knows how to use. He may not strike like a tall person, but he does jujitsu like a tall person. Like, he knows how to use his length both defensively and offensively. Uh, and just we see him get so deep on a wizard, that's got to be discouraging because you know if you try to throw him um, or trip him, unless you go just the right way, he's going to be able to use that to scramble out or set up something once he comes down. So really a suffocating wizard that he has. Just something to note from, from Charles Oliveira. Um, Lentz nearly gets guillotined in the first round, but when he takes Oliveira down, jumps to the opposite side, that's how you break it. And because Oliveira is not a dumbass, he lets go. So he doesn't get Von Flu choked. Just want to point that out. Both guys are too good for that to happen. Um, let's see. There was one point where Lentz is has one underhook and is trying to tap the other side, but they're already against the fence. So it's like a it's it's not a, it's not a race across the octagon. They're already there. Um, it gets Lentz to excuse me. It gets Oliveira to post both hands on the mat, which Lentz uses to then back out his head and then come all the way behind. So that way, it's essentially a way of shucking off the the underhook. That was awesome. Um, but it winds up happening is that Oliveira, uh, let's see. 
Oliveira, let's see, Oliveira turns back into him, sinks the left underhook, gets a gable grip on him, steps into him, and then wraps the head. Man, anytime your head is wrapped, with, with very little exception, if your head is wrapped, like the only example would be uh, um, if you are cross-body and someone's wrapping your head, right, like I just mentioned. But if you're, like, standing up and someone's wrapping your head, you're probably in a bad space. You're probably in a very bad space. Um, so anyway, he gets the head toss. So that was kind of nice. Um, I'll mention this later. Oliveira was able to pass the guard in a way that Hayes could not on Formiga, where you essentially flatten to one side. You flatten one. If you're in butterfly, you get one hip over one side of the outside leg flattened down, and then you jump to the other. Formiga was able to follow him because he was able to keep a, a hook in. Um, Oliveira was able to pass on Lentz that way. That was kind of nice. Um, and, uh, of course he had the nice knee to the body. He was firing those knees the entire time he was standing up straight, but you notice that Lance kind of wants to come in sort of hunched over, dug in and then reach for an underhook or, or get double underhooks. That's really what he's looking for. Punch over the top and then coming in. And I think, I think Oliveira knew that was coming. was just constantly drilling them with knees. Eventually one of them, uh, dropped him. So that was really nice too, but the round continues or the fight continues. And now, Lentz begins to take over. So this was a crazy fight. So in the second round, um, let's see. Oh, eventually he gets him down, Lentz does, and he's working half guard. And you see him on one side of Oliveira working the Kimura on the other side. Now, he's not very close to it, but a couple things happen. One, it's sort of distracting when you're just trying to keep your arm from getting Kimura or, you know, Americana or whatever. The other part is that it flattens a shoulder. And if it flattens a shoulder, it probably flattens a hip too, depending on how you're leaning. And that gave Lentz all the space he needed to drive one, the, the, he, was, he was in half guard, to drive the, the trail leg just above the hip and then step out. So that was kind of cool too. In other words, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pretend like I'm going for Kimura both as a, just sort of a mental distraction and so I can just kind of get your weight where I need it to get my legs free to then come out the side. So that was kind of a nice move by Nick Lentz. Um, let's see. There was a moment where Lentz tried to secure a guillotine when Oliveira was turtling into him and then driving him for the takedown. Um, and you can see he actually tried what Rockhold did on Bisping, where you secure the guillotine, you can roll them depending on how they're defending. He rolls Oliveira, plants the hand on the mat, but didn't quite have it under the chin, so I had to let it go. Now, he was, I think at that point, either mounted or had um, half guard on top. So he was in good position, but not enough to finish the takedown or the, uh, the guillotine. And then, of course, they both go to 50-50. How funny was that? 50-50 guard. Neither was very effective from there, partly because I don't know if people have worked out 50-50 from M in MMA yet, and partly because they were slippery and, you know, they're, I mean, they're probably good at heel hooks, but I doubt they're, they're not like Husamar Palhara's heel hook guys. So it didn't end up mattering in the end. The third round is, was the most interesting round, and of course, where the fight stops. So Lenz has Oliveira like a modified headlock. He's not on top of the head. He's got one hand behind the arm, but one hand on top of the head. So he's like, you know, putting his chest weight down on him. And to get out on the other side where the weak side is, Oliveira Granby rolls across his shoulders is able to stand. As he stands, they're clinching, almost 50-50 clinch. Not wrestling clinch, but tie. This is brilliant. Oliveira grabs the head, fires a knee up, up the middle without hesitating. Fires the knee, 
brings the knee back down and then immediately drives the head in for the guillotine. Remember what I told you before, if you go back and watch where his hand is, once he shoves it in, he's all ready to hear before he's even like clasped his hands or anything. He's here on this thing like that. That Joker is tight. Okay. And this might've been my favorite thing. Um, as he grabs this, he doesn't just like knee him, pull him down, grab a hold and then jump. As he is driving him down, he turns him out, right? So, like, I'm not just going to lock you in. I'm going to off-balance you, and I'm going to off-balancing you in a way where I want you to step to a certain direction that helps me crank the choke uh, and gives me the balance that I need. It benefits me. So what he does is he drives it in, steps around, and then takes the opposite side, from the opposite side of the guillotine, uses that foot to basically jump guard and then turn. So they almost do a 180, before Oliveira goes down. Now, eventually they jump. Um, they let sort of rolls forward over the outside shoulder of Oliveira. Oliveira is on top, man. At this point, it is bad. He's got both feet crossed behind the, the legs of Lentz. Guillotine is on perfectly st- straight. He's using his head as a post, and he's driving his hips in. That would finish... 99.9% of people, but Nick Lentz is just tough as hell. So what does he do? They didn't talk about this in the broadcast. That actually did not finish him. Uh, Oliveira had to adjust it. So what does he do? He actually lets go of his own legs and puts his knees on the mat. But he puts his knees on the mat not so that the mat will carry his weight from his knees so that he can widen his base. And when he widens his base like that, it actually frees him up instead of posting his weight kind of leaning on his head. Right, because that's what he was doing. He was posting his head previously when his legs were locked, so he wouldn't get rolled. It's almost like your hand going on the mat. You post on your forehead, but it wasn't quite enough to finish him. Again, would have finished anybody else, but it wasn't enough to finish Lance. So he then lets off of that a little bit, so the so that his so that his weight goes like this a little bit, and then it widens at the back where his legs are. But that gives him just enough space to that arch a little bit more. And you notice his head comes off the mat when he finishes because at that point, he's really sinking into it. I mean, there's nowhere to go at that point, and that's when that's when Lentz taps. So should be noted that when he got that guillotine, I would have bet my money was going to finish him, and it didn't. He had to adjust the guillotine, widening his base so he could create more leverage at the top of the guillotine. That was nice. Um, Oliveira Nunes. This was a, a super sloppy... Uh, so, I'll just talk about how it ended. Um, Oliveira takes the back correctly, which is to say, when someone turtles, you don't try and jump on their back like a horse. You see some guys do it and they get away with it. That's cool. But that's not a technical way. What you want to do is when someone is on a side or on their back and they begin to turtle, when they begin to turtle, whatever side you're nearest on, they're going to open up their arms. Even if they're super disciplined about their defense, that, that's the hook that goes in. And sometimes you can't always get the hook first, but you at least want to use a knee as a placeholder, something. But whenever someone rolls onto their base into turtle, the near side is the side that the hook goes in first. And that's also the same side, by the way, that when you do a seatbelt grip, it has to come over the neck. So the seatbelt grip was one hand. If I'm, if I'm taking someone's back, I'm going to have one hand over their neck and one hand under their armpit. And the hand that's coming over, or I should say the arm that's coming over the neck, you pretend like you have a knife, it stabs, and then this one comes on top. That's how you do it. You don't have this hand, and this comes on top. It creates hand fighting situations. The hand that comes over the neck, here, and then you grab. Okay, that's how you do it, which is exactly what he did. 
I mean, like textbook, perfect, okay? Sinks the hook in, almost like a baseball slide, comes in with a Marcelo Garcia seatbelt grip, bang. So what happens? So they kind of sit up like uh, they do like a bit of a together chair sit. And Oliver is holding his grip just fine. Nunes has one hand just like here, not here, not here on the inside to prevent anything from happening. You know, not yanking down, not two on one. He's got one hand down and then the other hand just like covering his forearm. Well, dude, that is not nearly enough. That's not going to stop anybody good. I, I just don't think he was, I don't know, maybe he didn't think he was in danger. I don't know. I don't know. Whatever the case, Oliver says, okay, whoop, snatches it, and then just Gable grips on top to finish it. Like, all you had to do was just drive the hand over. Remember, you're already here. You're already here. If this is KJ Nunes' neck and this is Oliver's arm, you're here. So what do you have to do? That's it. That's all you have to do. And then he hand fought and he got it. Super sloppy hand fighter from KJ Nunes. Again, I don't know if he was hurt or he wasn't thinking, because I'm sure he defends a choke better than that in practice. I'm quite confident that he does. But he just lost it for a moment in time, and he paid, paid the price for it. Um, let's see. Let me go over some of these results real quickly. Uh, Charles Oliveira, by the way, defeated Nick Lentz at 110 of the third round. Um, Alex Oliveira defeated KJ Nunes via rear naked choke at 251 of the first round. Uh, Fred Samar Bahosa defeated Ryan Jimmo. I mean, worst fight in the galaxy. Not even going to talk about it. Um, Francisco Amasaranduba Trinaldo defeated Norman Park via split decision 29, 28, 28, 29, 29, 28. Um, you know, I kind of thought Park won as well, but, you know, I just don't it's not, not, there was There were some great throws that actually I think Park deserves credit for having some interesting takedowns and a wide diversity of takedowns, but nothing that really sort of caught my attention. Um, as, as, as uniquely special, anyway. Uh, Darren Till defeated uh, Wendell Oliveira via KO with elbows. 137 in the second round. Let me pull my notes up here. Um... Let's see. Just wanted to know that first round, uh, there was a good moment there, I think, towards the end. I think Stan noted it, where you could see Till sort of frame out his feet for a kick and instead just fires the left straight down the middle. That was kind of cool. Um, in the end, let's see. Uh, what happened? Oh, um, Oliveira throws him. Oh, there was a moment where. Till got double underhooks and was driving Oliveira back for a takedown and gets it. But when Oliveira reads it happening as it's happening and took kind of, um, he doesn't bridge exactly perfectly, but when Till gets the inevitable takedown, Oliveira kind of times it to like shuck him off a little bit or at least push him a little bit as he lands. So Till's going to get the takedown, but he's going to fall a little too far forward to secure it. And that gives the time and space that Wendell needs to then rotate back out of it and get on top. That was kind of cool. But then eventually what happens is um, Oliveira goes for a takedown. Till has a fantastic wizard. I mean, drives that wizard in. And it winds up forcing um, Oliveira to whip a full 180 around. Right, So Oliveira's coming in. Till hits this wizard. Bang. Wendell goes all the way around this way. At that point, Till is still on his toes driving forward. Wendell was on his knees turtling and just gets run over at that point and has to go to his back from half guard. And from there, remember how Condit standing was taking the wrist and then driving his elbow over the top? Well, that's what Till was doing to Oliveira. Oliveira was underneath, poorly establishing wrist control, but having loose wrist control, 
um, or I think even the left side, he hadn't even had a chance to grip yet. But the same principle applied where Till drew the elbow in and then fire or drew the uh, wrist in and then fired. I have shoulder surgery. I can't get the proper angle on this anymore. Isn't that crazy? I like when I did Muay Thai, I could get a great angle on my left elbow. I can't even turn it over anymore. Um, but uh, anyway, so then fires it over and then drills him out with a series of just brutal, uncontested elbows. Again, um, you know, just no, no posture control at all attempted from from Wendell Oliveira. So that happened officially at let's see, one thirty-seven of the second round. Let's see on the preliminary card. Johnny Jason defeated Damon Jackson via triangle choke at three thirty-one of the first round. This was a crazy, crazy triangle. Did y'all see this? Here's what happens. They get into guard, uh, beautifully timed double from Damon Jackson. Okay. They get into the guard, and Honey Jason's going to work. He underhooks the near side thigh of Damon Jackson as he has sort of clamped down. So, like, Damon Jackson is like getting his hands in on the bicep. You see Honey Jason kind of, kind of, kind of clamping here right behind the glove, underhooks the side. So, what is he doing? He's framing for an arm bar. He's framing for an arm bar on the left arm. And you can hear. Jackson's coaches say, posture up, posture up. Okay, that's good That's good advice. So he postures up because he was sort of down before and then he comes up. But well, the strange part about it is he just kind of leaves his left arm dangling. It's right there. The left leg of Honey Jason is already between um, his hip and his armpit. So then he takes the right leg and then just walks it up. Like quickly, but just walks it up because, like he didn't he didn't push off, he didn't stop the leg, he didn't bring the leg over. When he when he postured up, he just kept it here. There's nothing protecting here. So Jason just puts the leg right on top, and then seals the triangle choke. Here's the best part. I went back and watched it like 50 times. Jason started off on an armbar, but eventually, when Jackson postured up and didn't move his arms. Jason is able to secure the triangle choke with no hands, with no hands. He doesn't even control the near side arm that's going to be in between. You know how a triangle is always one arm in and one arm out? He doesn't even use any hands to control that. The only thing he used his arm for was once he dug the underhook and lost the arm bar, he sort of used it like as an anchor to drive his hips out, drive his hips out, and, and, to, and you know, he has a long body frame to then seal the triangle choke. Okay, so he seals the triangle choke. Now, not fully, like, clamped down, but, like, you know, behind the head like this. His coach says, pass. So when someone has extended themselves like that, right, if you time it right, and if you don't time it right, you're in trouble. Here we go. If you time it right, you can come around the corner. He doesn't come around the corner at all. He just kind of stands there. So what does Honey Jason do? Still keeping this, releases it, grabs the wrist, the near side wrist, where the choke is now locked up, the arm that's in between the choke, and then drives his hips over like an upa sweep to get him to go over for the triangle choke. And at that point, there was one moment, it's too difficult to describe without seeing the, the replay. Brian Stan notes it that, that Jackson had rolled the wrong way. If you go back and look at it, go back and watch the tape, the very first time that, that they're scrambling, so they get tipped over, Jackson comes out. He had to roll uh, clockwise to come out on the left hip of, uh, no, no, excuse me, he had to roll counterclockwise to come outside on the left hip of uh, Honey Jason. He rolls clockwise, which means he rolled back into the choke. But it's fine. It was just crazy to me that Jason was framing up for an arm bar. His coach tells him to posture up. He postures up and then stopped defending. So Jason whoop, locked the choke up right there. Brilliant, brilliant. 
Uh, Jusier Formiga defeated Wilson Hayes, a unanimous decision at 29-28 across the board. Um, you know, they were talking about how good Jusier Formiga's jiu-jitsu is, and it is very good. Um, Hayes is one of the guys who started out a little bit in this area. I, uh, well, in Philly, really, but um, was part of long story short, I, I've had an opportunity to train with him a couple of times. He's a Roberto Godoy black belt. And Roberto Godoy one time came for a seminar. It was a, if you believe it, I'm not kidding. A spine crank seminar. Crazy, crazy painful stuff. Um, Wilson Hayes' jiu-jitsu is amazing. You know, look, he may not have, well, first of all, he has great credentials as a jiu-jitsu guy. He doesn't have, you know, um, multiple world titles. But in MMA, especially when it comes to wrestling and scrambling, I, I would I would like his chances against anybody. Like his jujitsu is phenomenally good, phenomenally good. Okay, just point that out to begin with. Um, for me, got a couple things interesting in the first round. Had a good uh, knee tap. Uh, um, from a uh, kick he caught in the first one that was cool. Um, in the second round, let's see. Oh. The uh, avoiding the back. So Formiga takes the back standing as he so want to do. And this is where they talked about all oh, the jujitsu of, of Formiga. And it is very good. So what does Hayes do? Hayes gets from one side of his left hip, gets two on one, gets to the other side, goes to his right, sits up, and then and drops back. Why? Why is he doing that? He's changing sides and spaces to give him just enough twist and turn to then push, push, push on the arm and then get his hips and rotate himself back onto his base, which he did perfectly. If you just sit here and you try to squirm, it's not going to work. you got to go side to side, and then you have to create motion. You, have to, you, you don't want to give up your neck, but if you've got firm control and they, you know you can't get the submission, sitting up, dropping back, just finding ways to create angles to move space, and then driving him one way as you sit your hips out and down, he was able to get back on top. That was kind of cool. Really enjoyed that. Um, good job by Formiga. Um, they were battling with underhooks, and they were changing. They were sort of like pummeling in. They re-pummeled on one side. As soon as it happens, as they turn, Formiga pins the hip, the um, the elbow of Hayes to his own body. Bang! Traps the or just you know holds him up, trips the foot, turns him, and rolls him over. Right. So they switch into the pummel. They they re-pummeled it on one side, but they're turning. As they turn, he pins his elbow against his own body, pinning Hayes is in between. So Hayes has nothing on that side to block him. Stops the foot as they turn. And then Hayes goes over. That was a great trip uh, from um, from Formiga. Let's see. And then you have, uh, not last, but certainly not least, you have, let's see, Nicholas Dalby defeated, I'll just call him Dos Santos. Split decision 29-28, 28-29, 29-28. Um, just a couple of things. I thought, it, I thought and Brian said, no, there's the diversity of takedowns. Whenever you see a guy has like a diverse you know, array of takedowns like that, that's usually an indication that they, they have to be diverse because the takedown necessarily isn't dominant, but they can be dominant through diversity. In other words, if he had just gone back to the double over and over again, DeSantis would have been able to stop it. But because he went to like the reverse double leg and then the double leg, and then he was going to like these sacrifice throws and outside uh, trips, it was that it was a diversity that, that the Brazilian, you know, just could not keep up with in that particular context. So I appreciated that. Um, Let's see. Oh, uh, real quickly. Um, Dos Santos was able to use the Kimura from Turtle as Dolby didn't. Um, there was a moment there where Dolby was trying to go for a takedown. I think uh, Dos Santos had a Kimura. And let's see. 
turtle. Excuse me. Yeah, Dolby was on the back, and DeSantis had a Camorra. Was trying to lock it up. So what happens? They're kind of on one side. Dolby comes around because you want to be behind someone to cover their hips, but he didn't have a hook in. And if you don't have a hook in, there's nothing controlling. The base is now lifted off the ground. Well, if it's lifted off the ground, you can now move. Um, and so he was able to uh, to reverse position. So he's able to use the Camorra to reverse position. I apologize for that. That was kind of cool. Um, but not a whole lot to speak of in that one. We're running out of time. Uh, real quickly, Mirsad Vektish versus Lucas Martins. This was great, man. Um, couple things to note. First of all, the 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 willingness of Bektich to throw offense from all kinds of control positions. Like, he's really good at getting a control position, and then before moving to the next one, just firing 7, 8, 9, 10 punches. Then you move to the next one, establishes it, 7, 8, 9, 10 punches. Really, really like that from, from Mirsad Bektich. So he's always just banging on you at all times, okay? Uh, um, so he was... Showing a little bit hurried hands. You know, you could tell when they first met, met up, he was looking for a takedown because he was going to throw a couple combinations, but he had that sort of look in, that, that, that look that wrestlers get when they want to throw a couple just to throw a couple just to get it over with so they can then shoot. So he paid for it with a couple of right crosses. And again, go back and watch Martin's vision as he's watching um, Bektich in front of him. He's able to score and land, and that was pretty cool too. But eventually the right in the second round dropped him. The thing I want to point out in the control positions that Bektich had, I thought was really great, was that there was a moment there where Martins was able to get his back to the fence, had one knee down, and had one leg outstretched. Bektich, or Bektik, whatever it is, not only had the leg wrapped like a, like a leg ride, but had a lockdown on it. So you know how Eddie Bravo does the lockdown? So if, uh, if I'm Eddie Bravo, someone's on top of me, I'm going to lock up a half guard. But I'm not just going to put one leg and cross mine. I'm going to put the other leg and then recross underneath your ankle. It's called a lockdown, right? And it makes passing or backing out impossible, right? It's just one way or the other. You can't go. You're sort of stuck there, hence the lockdown. And then he uses that for all kinds of things like back takes and whatnot, all right? Uh, Bektich used the lockdown while um, Martins is trying to scramble to weigh him down and keep his legs. Now, eventually, he was able to redraw the knee, but it took him a while and I just never seen anyone use a lockdown from that position. Anyway, eventually the second round comes out. Same combination he got countered off of in the first one, went back to it because I think that eye was closed, banged him out with the right, and then finished him off brilliantly. Uh, fantastic job from Lucas Martins. Real quickly, excuse me, fantastic job from Mirsad Bektik. Uh, Juliana Lima defeated Erica Almeida via unanimous decision, 30-27, 30-25. 30, and then Tom Breeze defeated Luis Dutra. Uh, via TKO at 4:58 of the very first round, I, I will give my fighter of the card to Alex. Excuse me, to Charles Oliveira. Um, let's see, Amir Khan defeated. I didn't get a chance to get to it. Amir Khan defeated Chris Algieri via unanimous decision. Much tougher fight than people thought. Oh, by the way, your uh, fighter of the night was Oliveira versus Lentz. Your performances of the night were Oliveira versus Han and Honey Jason. Um, it's kind of weird, but okay, fine. Um, how did Carlos Khan did not get over Honey Jason? Whatever. Uh, next week, you have UFC Fight Night 68, which is, for just being honest with ourselves, not good. Um, not a whole lot to like about that one. It's headlined by Tim Boach versus Dan Henderson. Ben Rothel versus Matt Vitrion's on it, okay. Jorge Medeiros is good. Tavares versus Ortega, maybe. Soto versus Kerchak. Francisco uh, Rivera versus Alex Caceres. Sean Jordan versus Derek Lewis. Brian Corsall versus Maureen Almedov. Chris Wayne versus Christian Gallegos. We really dig a broke guy. back. 
Joe Proctor, Proctor versus Justin Edwards, according to Jerry Collier, Collier and Jose Aguilar uh, uh, versus Leandro Morales. Morales. And that'll be a sneaky, 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 Okay, okay. Um, um, you can follow me on Facebook.com, Facebook.com, slash sports, sports, Thomas, SPHS.com. I'm, of course, on Twitter, at SPHS. I'll post this. I'll post an Algerian fight in the post on MMA fighting. I'll post a bunch of stuff from the weekend for the Mundials. By the way, Marcelo Garcia had... The male double gold winner, absolute end division for black belts, and the female uh, double gold winner for her division and absolutes. So it was Bernardo Faria and then Dominica. Both. Marcelo Garcia had that's an incredible performance. I think the team went in with the checkmate one. I think, um, by the way, Cicero Costa guys, the Unity, B- Unity, BJJ, Unity BJJ guys got second. I don't know where Marilla Santana finished, but Meow Brothers, Paulo won his at Light Feather, I believe. And then. Um, in a crazy match between Bruno Malfacini and Joao Miao. Joao Miao had an advantage retracted, which gave Bruno Malfacini the, the win. Crazy match. Uh, Hafa Mendez became a five-time world champ, beating Cobrinha. Um, let's see. I believe uh, Shanji Hibero is now a seven-time world champ. Um, there was a terrible closeout between Lepri and Lange. Um, and, I, and, oh, and by the way, Shanji beat uh, Leitch. Um, Mackenzie Dern is now black. She, Mackenzie Dern is a world champion at blue belt, purple, brown, and black. So that's crazy. Um, I will post all kinds of matches between Keenan and Keenan almost submitted with a triangle. Um, Leandro Lowe, Edwin Najmi got his black belt, won the brown belt world championship, and finished two people automatically with flying triangles. This guy's Edwin Najmi is amazing. A guy to humble balls. So I'll post all that stuff, all that stuff. We'll be on the post at MMAfighting.com. Lots to watch and get to. UFC Fight Night 68 next week. Thanks for watching. See you guys next time. Enjoy the fights.